Hi, and welcome to another edition of NCBI's podcast. My name is uh, Kevin Kelly. I'm the Head of Policy and Advocacy with NCBI. On today's episode, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by NASA Harrigan, TD. NASA, thank you for joining us on the show. No problem. I'm very delighted to be here. You've had a hectic and chaotic uh, 15 or uh, 19 months with being elected to the local authority and the dial. It must have been a world one. It has. It's been a really big change in my life because I um, had been a lecturer for a few years um, in architecture and then and before that I was a consultant and, and a kind of a specialist in, in sustainable design. And then I actually, when my little girl was born um, and obviously had additional needs, I took a step back because, you know, I, I just I kind of want to just focus and make sure that, you know, she got the best start that she could. Um, and so I was home. I was home from like the end of uh, like 2016 onwards basically I, I was home in the house and so to go from that to the doll in I was a counsellor for nine months and then and then a TD that was very fast and I'm still um, running to keep up but it, you know it's a, it's a really steep learning curve but I, I, I do love steep learning curves I love to kind of be challenged so um, it's been a very interesting time. Yeah, great. We might come back to the uh, politics and all of that uh, later in the interview. But you mentioned there that your uh, daughter, Edith, uh, has a visual uh, impairment. And I was just keen to get uh, your perspectives on being a mum of a child that has a visual impairment, because I think a number of our listeners would be very interested in that. Well, I, I think I'm like everybody is that it's a journey. And uh, like every year is different and every challenge is different. Um, on the day that we're recording this, she's gone back to school and she goes to mainstream school. And so I just find um, every year, you know, you, you, she learns and I learn. Um, certainly um, Edith was my my first baby. And so it was um, and it was very apparent very early on that there was a, a significant visual impairment. Um, and I think it was, you know, she was three weeks old and it was um, flagged for us that you know she's not focusing um and uh that's you know something when you have a newborn baby you're 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 kind of worried anyway everything is is you're on high alert um and so we kind of entered into then um a kind of a long period of which a lot of families do and i don't think they that we're good at giving families that support during the time when you're trying to work out what's happening um what that diagnosis um point and it happens in 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 at different times for each child so for us it was very early on kind of by you know 10 or 12 months we knew where we were um it was big it was a big news for us because you know she she would have let's say maybe six or seven percent sight or less than 10 percent we're not we're not really sure what she has um and it's not uh, there's no treatment for it so this is a you know we're in it we're it's it's a long-term situation um and i think that for other people, you know, that'll be something that arises um, when the child is going to school. Um, I see a lot of um, people, obviously, with visual impairment, um, uh, obviously, in teenage years and hormone changes. And, you know, all, uh, that sometimes is when it kicks in. So um, definitely, uh, I think it's it's really difficult for, for parents sometimes to grapple with all of that and make sure that the child is the focus. And, and that was that was for us, this tiny little baby. And we were trying to work out what the best thing to do um, was. I have to say we were incredibly lucky that we live in Dublin 7 and therefore we were close to child vision. And just, and, and, you know, we were in touch with the NCBI and um, we just 
had good support and I've had and the family has had always such an incredibly positive experience and I know that's not the same for everyone so in some ways I know it's a weird thing to say around disability and I find myself saying this a lot but in some ways like there's there's you know great blessings you always feel kind of quite grateful in in certain aspects of it um but yeah I mean uh, it, it's just a learning again it's a learning curve and we're trying to do the best and now that she's obviously eight uh she is part of that discussion and she's telling us <laughs> what she wants to do I'm and sure she is yeah <laughs> yeah no um and it's interesting because uh, some of the points that you made there are uh, quite common to uh, a lot of the parents and it's something that ncbi is quite uh, conscious is uh, being there in the very early days following uh, diagnosis uh, with the introduction of rye clinic uh, liaison officers in some of the dublin offices and funding uh, permitting we would like to see that extended to so having ncbi staff available in the hospice to not in the hospice rather but in the hospital to support uh, parents uh, on receiving the, the diagnosis because I think a lot of people go into shock. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I think the reality is, is that a lot of um, the service providers and, and the nurses and, and doctors who, who, in fairness, are doing their best, um, you know, to, I suppose uh not many people are dealing with with visual impairment it's it's still relatively rare and they might not have seen it and they might not know what they're looking at so to have um specialists or to have you know people who 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 know what they're talking about i don't even mean you know people who are at the kind of i'm not talking even about consultant ophthalmologists or anything like that i'm just talking about um you know service providers who've seen it before and, and, and know what that looks like um, is, is incredibly helpful. And I guess the, the key thing there is that it doesn't become something where it matters where your address is, that like you, you whether you're in Kerry or you're, you know, in Monaghan or you're in Dublin 7, you should feel that like that know-how, that kind of on the ground know-how is is available to you and there's somebody who's seen it all before. Because that's, that's what I always find the most helpful. You know, somebody who'd seen it all before and they were like, just you know, take it easy, you know, don't, don't be scared. It, it'll all be fine. Uh, I've always found that so great. And, and if you find people like that, they're a gem because, you know, in those early days where everything just seems like up in the air, someone telling you, look, there's a pathway forward here. We'll get you sorted. It is l invaluable. When preparing for um, the uh, interview, um, uh, you've remarked previously that um, some of your activism uh, work is due to uh, your, your daughter. I suppose that uh, comes from uh, encountering uh, challenges um, uh, as you, uh, when, when you became, became a mum and started uh, interacting with various uh, state services. Absolutely. And, you know, like I would always be somebody who'd, I would have always followed politics and, uh, you know, I, I would, you know, read a paper and I'm always kind of vaguely interested in it. And obviously then through my work, because I was a specialist in kind of environmental stuff, which isn't actually the traditional way of getting into the Green Party. Most people are kind of um, eco-activists, but I came through it from a professional point of view. Um, and I and and that's how I got, I suppose, into the sphere of, of, of environmental stuff. But actually all of it was fairly um, dormant until until I had Edith and I just felt that all of a sudden there was no time to wait. It's a weird thing to kind of get older and get more radical, <laughs> but um, I definitely think that, um, you know, really simple things like one of you getting involved in, let's say, how your street is and your community. Like one of the things I'm very active on is the Irish Pedestrian Network and um, helped found that. Um, and that absolutely is rooted in um, the perspective of uh 
accessibility and and that if every street uh, works for somebody with additional needs, then it'll work for all. It'll work for families. It'll work for everyone. And that is absolutely rooted in in our experience. Edith would be a white cane user. Um, and, you know, we, we, we were very lucky that we had a little bit of mobility training when she was four. And then we were kind of told, well, practice now with the cane. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like walking around with a white cane and a small child and trying to explain to them why the street or the road or the footpath is so bad or the crossing isn't right to make you realize that this isn't fair. Like, this is just not fair. You shouldn't have to explain to a four-year-old why the crossing doesn't suit her. Um, and that does kind of radicalize you. It does make you feel like, you know, there's no time to waste. I, I might as well get up. And we did do things like um, occupy streets to make them pedestrian for a day, uh, you know, w- without any permissions, really, <laughs> I have to be honest. Um, we did do things, you know, like um, we, we make lots of submissions and um, we're very active. There's, I'm very lucky that, you know, there's one started up in Cork now. There's one started up in Limerick. We're, we're looking for anyone who's interested in starting them up. Um, but it's it's a, compl- a completely, you know, uh, based around community. So there isn't kind of one big... Um, Irish pedestrian uh, network group. It's it's the idea that everyone in their community. It's almost like a tidy towns model. Is that everybody would do it in their own community and and you know feed into that decision making. Go and annoy your councillor. Go and annoy your TD and say, look, I need a crossing at my kid's school. I need this footpath to be better or wider or or straighter or whatever it is. And that's absolutely born from experience. Something that I'm interested uh, in getting um, your thoughts on, because there's always uh, a lot of uh, public uh, discussion and debate around uh, accessibility issues and uh, challenges and for example, the introduction of cycleways and paths and how people um, with uh, re- reduced uh, mobility um, safely navigate shared space. And uh, I'm sure you've lots of thoughts on that uh, from your professional uh, background and being a, a mum uh, of a child with a visual impairment as well. Absolutely. Uh, I have very strong opinions about it, but I, I think one of the things I, I uh, clocked very quickly is that... Um, all of those active travel issues, we should all band together and we'd be stronger. And that there was an emerging thing of um, cyclists against pedestrians. Um, and that was being kind of f- fueled by, um, you know, existing authorities who, who want, they don't want kind of strong activism. They, they want it to be divided. And I was very clear that for example, the Irish Pedestrian Network or more my little um, Twitter site, Dublin Blockers, that was all about accessibility. And there is a natural point of conflict between cyclists and pedestrians. There absolutely is, or or kind of, um, you know, people in wheelchairs. Like cyclists go at a much different um, speed and, uh, you know, it's a different type of infrastructure. So my feeling was always, well, let's put all of that on the table in a, in a constructive way. Um, so a good example would be, for example, bus stops at the moment in Dublin. They're, they're talking about bringing in um, where you would situate bus stop, stops in relation to bus connects. Now, if you're somebody who has a visual impairment and you're trying to get on a bus, the idea that you would have to take come off of a footpath, cross a cycle lane to get to a bus stop is is really worrying I I can imagine because I know that with with my little girl a cyclist doesn't have to hit you to rob you of your confidence if they whiz past you and and you don't know that they were coming that actually takes your confidence it doesn't have to touch you even to do to affect that and so there's natural points of conflict but I but I always felt and and um at the very early days of setting it up we reached out to the cyclist groups because they're quite good at lobbying and I and I always felt that like well let's all join up together and see if we can 
um, work that stuff out and, and be a stronger group because it's really, we know historically and the legacy of all of infrastructure funding in Ireland is all around roads and cars. And that has left us, you know, with a situation where people are very reliant on cars, even when they don't want to be. And my feeling would be that it should be around choice. And so that instead of spending, you know, more than 90% of all of our funds on roads and cars and facilitating that, why don't why don't we do it fairly and and uh, and with parity? And you know what? If we had good infrastructure of uh, footpaths and crossings and also cycling infrastructure, there would be choice there because there's an emerging kind of group within cyclists as well. You know, of disability activists within cycling, which I find so interesting. And I know my my little one now; she wants one of the the three wheel bikes. Now, obviously, we'd have to cycle with her, but um, you know, if there was a lane that I trusted in Dublin for her, um, I would I would be delighted for her for her to try cycling. And I think that's the the test of all infrastructure. Would you put someone who you consider um you, you know who you might be worried about, who might be vulnerable on a lane? So, you know, for me, an eight-year-old with visual impairment and who's also hard of hearing, if I if I have a bike lane or a or a path that I tr- that I'm happy for them to navigate themselves, well then that's probably good infrastructure. In your mind, um, can you see a way forward to um, lessen some of the concerns amongst people who are uh, blind or vision impaired around what's proposed under Bus Connects uh, on the uh, bus stop uh, islands and having to cross um, cycle paths because um, it is causing a lot of concern and it's something that NCBI has made a number of submissions on in the last uh, few months? I mean, I have to say in that case... I side with the with the pedestrians there, and I I side with people with disabilities. I I think that particularly on uh, you know the corridors that I'm dealing with in my constituency, um, there's a kind of a natural kind of um, slope down into the city centre from Dublin Seven, and so uh, when I think of the bus corridors that we're dealing with in in places like Stony Batter or or places um, like um, Drumcondra, and I'm getting very very specific to my area now, and I do apologise for your listeners. Um, people pick up speed, pick up great speed um, on 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 bikes, and I know that's great, and I know that you want people commuting, but uh, we have to stick to the kind of basic principles of a street that works for for you know um, people with that is universally accessible. And and when we started up the Irish Pedestrian Network, that that was one of the key um, principles that we adopted is that there's a hierarchy of the street, and the very top of that hierarchy is is not just pedestrians but vulnerable pedestrians pedestrians who might have, you know, um, vision impairment or who um, might have difficulty walking. I mean, one of the things that we don't add into this group often enough, if you ask me, actually, is older people who who wouldn't be great on their feet. Um, because my parents, for example, now wouldn't be happy to to walk any great distance. They're, they're fine. They're not using walking sticks or anything, but they wouldn't be particularly brilliant on their feet over, you know, a long time. And if you're waiting for a bus, you could be waiting for a while. And, and therefore, to walk out into a cycle lane, you just for a, a bike to come whizzing past you, I, I just, I, I don't think it's viable. And I think, you know, we just have to continue to put pressure on them to to take that perspective seriously. If you want people on buses, they have to be able to get onto the bus in a safe way. And that's a, an equality issue almost. 
Yeah, we're on the same page on uh, that one uh, um, uh, totally and uh, hopefully um, there'll be uh, tweaks uh, made in the uh, coming months and uh, that all of the campaigning that uh, various organisations and individuals with disabilities uh, will be uh, listened to when it comes to decision time and when uh, plans uh, are uh, put in place. Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, it's returned to uh, school um, season. Uh, how do you think uh, all of that's uh, going uh, at present well <laughs> i mean we'll find out i guess i think that um you know it was late the the amount the, as in the amount of information people were getting i was still getting emails from my kids school uh this week and um if you have a child with additional needs you're again always on high alert to make sure that everything's right for them um i find it you know challenging to kind of send her back and not necessarily be able to kind of uh I stand around the yard even, you know, talking to her SNA and, and talking to her teacher. Like, that's something that I would have always done in a kind of a casual way. Because, you know, you'd like to have like, good relationships with people. And I've always found that that's a really good way of working with service providers. Um, and I find even that challenging because I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't really know what's going on. or or So that bit is hard. I think that... Um, we the government didn't do a good job in terms of communicating it and it does feel a little bit last minute and it won't be clear I guess uh for another few weeks whether or not it has panned out the way we wanted it to um I I can only hope that we don't see a spike and that we're not all you know in lockdown again that I think that would be really a really a huge worry yeah. Turning to the uh, politics, uh, have you set um, goals and objectives uh, for your uh, time in Leinster House on things that you would like to see uh, progressed? I absolutely have. I mean, one of the things that we did get in the programme for government is um, stuff around infrastructure for active travel. And I think that in that we tend to think of that as cycling. And I completely reject that and 10% of all um, infrastructure spending should be pedestrianisation and should be accessible, you know, accessibility um, in our, not just in our towns and our cities and our villages, but also, you know, in any area uh, where people would wish to walk. I, I have, you know, been kind of doing lots of research in terms of like, what do other countries do? And other countries have kind of really interesting approaches, like, for example, um, the 200 metre rule, which is anywhere around a park or um, uh, a school that they have kind of pristine walking, um, walk a walk a pristine walking environment with really really good crossings. And what that means is you have almost a tapestry um, where it becomes much easier then to join up good infrastructure between those two hundred meter um, pristine areas. So if you have like a, a school and a park that's maybe three hundred meters away, now you only have a hundred meters left of of kind of work to do. So I think there's really interesting issues like that. Obviously. I'm the finance spokesperson, so um, there's kind of issues around um, budgets and, and finance that um, I'm interested in looking at. Uh, I guess coming from a disability, you know, from a family who has a child that has a disability, I'm I'm interested in the, um, I guess the you know, how Section 38 and 39 um, organisations are doing and how they're funded. Um, I I personally take the view that, you know, the, the, it's kind of old hat <laughs> to think of um, the service provision to um, people with disabilities as charity. Um, I don't like to get up on my high horse about that, but I, I don't like to think of, of you know, 
that as a charity issue. I think that that the state should be providing all of those things. And I think it has knock on effects to, you know, the, the, the way we treat workers in those organizations. So that's a whole area of, um, of, uh, work that I would like to contribute to and which I have kind of strong, strong opinions about. Very good. And uh, finally, um, on today's uh, program, uh, lots of people are always curious uh, about Leinster House and what goes on in uh, Leinster House. I know you guys are spending some of your time in the convention centre and some time uh, in Leinster House. But as a first time TD, what's been uh, your first uh, impressions of it all? Well, I guess I've had a really unique experience because within two or three weeks of becoming a TD, where, you know, you wouldn't even have an office or anything at that stage um, and you wouldn't have staff or anything like that. You're kind of, you, you know, you're in the first flush of it. Within that time, then coronavirus started and um, and and so most of Leinster House is kind of locked down. There's no dining area. There's um, you can get things from the cafeteria and you have to kind of go back to your office and eat it. And um, uh Somebody told me recently that the bar is open, but I haven't actually seen that. Um, maybe I'm I'm spending my time doing the wrong things. Uh, so, but I, I, you know, I have staff brought on now, and I have to say, having kind of been involved in activism and you know, kind of community work for the last few years, um, and and kind of, I'd be looking after the kids all day, and then I'd put them all to bed. I have three kids, put them to bed, and then I would take out my laptop and I'd start, you know, emailing people or like researching papers for a submission to the council or whatever it might be. And I have to say, the big the big change for me is to have support, is to have staff support and to have the support of, um, you know, kind of researchers in the doll and things like that, where you can kind of go and say, look, I want to do this thing and I have this idea about it. And can we talk about that? And can we move that forward? Um, that's actually, I, 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 I took fully admit that I'm a big nerd, but that to me is really exciting. And I'm only starting to get to grips with this, the, you know, the, the, that kind of level of support that you have available. And I do love of policy and I was chair of policy council for the Greens um, for a good while and so to have kind of an ability to um, put together papers and, and research stuff I'm quite excited about that so um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna get really stuck in there and I guess that's the biggest change for me um, I do I, I I guess the bit that, that I'm a bit sad about is that um, I would have loved to bring my dad up to Leinster House and see his daughter be a TD because I think like it's a big thing for him and uh, we can't do that in coronavirus but look we're all putting stuff off you know in, in the current circumstances and that's the the least the least of it um as I haven't I don't get to see him that much anymore um but yeah it, it's pretty quiet in Leinster House but I, I would say next week when we get back it'll it'll um start off again I the only other thing I would say is I know the conference center is costing an incredible amount of money um and I can assure you that nobody likes being there the you know you're you're away from your staff and you're away from your office and your phone and all of that kind of stuff and and so um I think as soon as we can get back to Leinster House um everybody will be much much happier and much more effective in their work Great. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us on the NCBA podcast. And uh, maybe you'll come on in a few months again and tell us uh, how you're getting on with all the various initiatives that you're involved in. Oh, I'd be delighted to. Um, I'd, I'd love to do that. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
That was um, Green Party uh, TD NASA Hurrigan speaking to me, uh, Kevin Kelly, on NCBI's podcast. Remember, tune in to our next edition, and this is available on Amazon, Alexa, Apple, and a number of other uh, platforms. Check out our website, www.ncbi.e, for further details.